I wonder if you're like me and you have this moment every year, about this time of year, when it starts to feel like Christmas. I mean, we see that it's Christmas probably before we feel like it's Christmas. Uh, you see the decorations around, you see the signage, the stores are all decorated, but it doesn't quite feel like Christmas. But there's a moment for me every year, and maybe I should have outgrown it by now, where it feels like Christmas. I don't know if it's decorations in our home or the cooking or just the rhythm of our family, but I get this moment every year where it just really does start to feel like Christmas. And it's December 20th, and if it hasn't felt like Christmas to you yet, I want you to go and find a candy cane, rip that wrapper off, crunch it up, eat it as quickly as you can, and wash it down with some eggnog, and that should get you started. Today's the fourth Sunday of Advent. We're going to talk about peace today, and peace has a feeling oftentimes associated with it as well. And maybe when you think of peace, you think of a feeling. If you're a water person and you think about being at the beach, listening to the waves roll in on a beautiful day, and it gives you that peaceful feeling, or maybe being on the river or at the, at the cottage uh, in the quiet of the morning, it's got a certain feeling to it. Um, maybe it's being outside uh, in the summer, sitting by a fire, just relaxing, the crackling sound of the fire in the night sky. It just gives you this, uh, this sense of peace. Or maybe you felt it recently, being around the dinner table with family and friends. And you just kind of had this sense in the middle of that meal, you just stopped and felt like this is, there's something about this that's good. Uh, there's a peacefulness to it. But when I say the word peace, many of us picture ourselves kind of in a specific circumstance or situation, uh, which is great. But the problem with that is it's not guaranteed every time. Uh, if you went down to the shore on Tuesday of this past week, down at Saints Rest, and you sat there to watch the waves come in, hoping to have the experience of peace, those 90 kilometer an hour winds and the minus 15 temperatures probably would not have given you that, that same feeling. And there's times when you're sitting outside by the fire and for whatever reason, the fire won't light and the direction of the wind keeps changes and it just keeps blowing smoke in your face. And there's probably times when you sit around the table with family and you just kind of stop and you look around the table and you think, am I really related to all of these people, right? These are great things, but they're not guaranteed. And certainly they're not guaranteed 24-7. I think we can all agree that the kind of peace that we're looking for is a piece that we can count on. Uh, that we're familiar with attempts that we have made maybe at times in our lives that involve trying to numb or trying to run away problems and hope that we find peace, trying to purchase something that we think will give us peace, or trying to just create these perfect, perfect circumstances in order that we get this feeling of peace. But we know that they don't always work and they don't last. And the scriptures talk about a peace that's different. It can be experienced throughout the whole of our lives. It's an inner freedom based on a confidence in someone outside of ourselves. And the most important thing about this peace described in the scriptures is that you can have it right in the midst of the worst times in life. That it is available to you when circumstances are awful. When nothing you've planned is going right. When nothing is working as you thought it should be. And so today I want to leave kind of the traditional Christmas scriptures and I want to jump ahead to a teaching that Jesus gives on peace, which is my favorite of all of his words about peace, just because of how real it is. Um, it's a passage just before actually Jesus is crucified. He's giving his final instructions to his disciples, and he's, he's trying to prepare them for life after his presence with them physically. 
And when they kind of go off to start the church, he's trying to prepare them for what that's going to look like. And he's pretty sure that they have no idea what that's going to look like and that it's going to be harder than they think. And he also wants to know that in the midst of that, that it's possible for them to experience his peace. It's found in John chapter 16, and so I would encourage you, if you get time later, to go back and read through the whole chapter. We're going to spend most of our time today just looking at the last few verses. Uh, but let me summarize some of the things that Jesus points out to them that are going to be difficult. He's trying to right-size their expectations and give them an accurate sense of what life is going to be like after he ascends into heaven. And he says four things. At first, he says you're going to get kicked out of your synagogues. When you choose to follow me and choose to be the church and go into the world, uh, many of you are going to get kicked out of your synagogues, which means for you and I, it's like getting kicked out of your home church. For these disciples, this, these are the places where they grew up. Their family worshiped there. Their friends attended there. They went to Sunday school there. It's kind of like being disowned by the people who raised you. Next, he says to them that there's a likelihood that they could get killed, of course, which is true. It, it happened to, to all of them except for one. And it's kind of almost comical how John captures it here in, in John 16 around verse 2. Because he says, you know, there's a possibility you could get killed. And then John almost writes it in a way that makes it sound like the worst part of you getting killed is that the people who kill you will think they're doing it for a good reason and later find out that it wasn't a good reason. As if that's the worst part of that story. But Jesus is preparing these disciples for what life is going to be like. And he's painting a picture for them that really isn't very rosy. Uh, the third thing he says is that you're going to experience grief. When I leave, you're going to be kind of overwhelmed. It's going to be a difficult transition to walking with Jesus physically every day, watching him, taking his instructions, doing what he's asked them to do. Now he departs and they've got the Holy Spirit living in them. That transition is going to be difficult for them. And then the last thing he says, which would be so difficult to hear, as if being killed wasn't difficult to hear. But he says to his disciples, you're going to abandon me. You're going to leave me all alone in these last days. So to this backdrop, to this context where Jesus is trying to kind of paint a picture of what the future is going to look like for his disciples, he paints for them what is going to be some of the real challenges that they could face. Um, but then he says this to them, and this, let, let me read these verses. This is John 16, verses 32 and 33. And just try to imagine you're listening to Jesus explain this to you just before um, he leaves. And he says this. A time is coming, and in fact has already come, when you will be scattered, each one to your own home. You will all leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus wants them to know that there's two incredible things that are entirely possible. You can have trouble in this world, and you can have peace. You can have experiences in life that are going to be difficult, they're going to rock you to the very core of who you are, and you can have peace. Let's kind of unpack some of the things that he talks about in these verses because they're just so wonderful. Uh, so let's start in verse 32. Remember, this is Jesus incarnate. Jesus born as a baby in a manger. He's now grown up. 
And it's important that we remember that when Jesus came to earth, he set aside his divinity. Uh, Philippians 2 says he poured himself out, or he, he emptied himself of some of the resources that he would normally have at his disposal. That means that when Jesus is here on earth, he's showing us how to live a life dependent on our Heavenly Father. Jesus is living in human flesh. He's experiencing things like you and I experience. He experiences hunger. He experiences exhaustion. He experiences stress. And he says in this passage where he's just about to get ready to face the Roman guards, an angry mob, and to be abandoned by his disciples, he's in need of comfort. He's got a need in this moment, just like you and I today, facing burdens and, and facing challenges. And Jesus shares with us in this context, in this time of his own personal need, how he found peace. And the first thing he says is in verse 32, he says, hey, you abandoned me. You left me all alone. But I love these words, but I am not alone, for my Father was with me. Think about that. Jesus completely left to himself. The people that he loved and walked so closely with, trained and prepared, they've completely scattered. But Jesus says, I was not alone. My heavenly Father was with me. In these most difficult times, Jesus felt God's presence with him. He knew God's presence was with him. He knew there wasn't a moment or a situation or a day to come where God wasn't by his side. And as he re remembers this, it's a source of peace for him. He's giving a testimony here. I am not alone. My heavenly Father is with me. And this is Jesus' invitation to us. How is it that we can live in a world where there's lots of troubles and have peace? It's knowing that God is with you each and every step of the way. That there's not a circumstance, there's not a situation that you will go through where God is not with you. I am not alone, Jesus says. And it's what you can say too. No matter where you're at today, you can repeat those same words and they're true for you. I am not alone. For my Heavenly Father is with me. Now, Jesus turns the tables. And um, he says what he's received from the Heavenly Father he offers back to us. Verse 33, I have told you these things, and this is so important, so that in me, and that's the key, so that in me, you may have peace. In a world with troubles, you can also have peace. Peace is not a meditation. It's not a technique. It's not a mantra that we say. It's a person, and it's the person of Jesus Christ. Well, what does this mean to be in Christ? It means that when we are connected to Christ, when we are living in him, when we are, as John would use earlier in, in, in the gospel, when we're grafted into him, when he is the vine and when we are the branches, all the resources of Christ are available to us. It's knowing that at our disposal, that whatever Jesus has available to him is available to us. I think Peter said it best. He said, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Meaning as we stay rooted to Christ, he gives us what we need for any situation, no matter where we find ourselves in. That whatever you may need today is available to you as you remain in Christ. And as we get ready to face a new year, and who knows what our new year will look like, no matter what troubles the new year might bring, 
you are able to have peace. Why? Because you're not alone. Your Heavenly Father is with you. Why? Because I'm going to remain in Christ. And all the resources that are available to Christ are also available to me as I remain in Him. You may have struggles. You may have struggles with people. You may have struggles with health. You may have challenges with relationships. But there will be no struggle within you. Because you can be at peace. Because Jesus gives us everything we need. Peace is all about where we choose to place our trust. Now, I'm a kid, I was a kid that grew up in the, in the Cold War. I uh, grew up as a child during the Cold War. Uh, you know, when the Western nations were kind of faced off against Russia, they had nuclear missiles pointed um, at each other. And during that time in Canada, the Canadian government built 50 bunkers, uh, these safe little places where people could go if there was ever a nuclear attack on our country. So if nuclear missiles came to our country, there was a safe place that we could go on. And when we were in those places, we could trust that we would, that we would be okay. If you were a grade 8 kid and you went on that uh, classic field trip to Ottawa, you visited one of them, the Diefenbunker. And these were like incredible underground facilities. They had, were made with tons of concrete and, and tons of steel. Um, they had air filtration systems and water systems and water treatment and uh, canned food and sleeping quarters. They had everything that you would need. And their hope is to provide you peace of mind that should there be a nuclear war, you could go here and provide and find shelter and safety and you'd be okay. Which is great as long as you grew up in close proximity to one of these shelters. Now I grew up in a small rural place um, and we did not have one of these super bunkers anywhere nearby. But we were taught as kids a technique to do if there was ever a nuclear attack. Uh, we were given instructions about what to do. And we would practice it in school. And maybe some of you remember this. There would be this practice siren that would come over the intercom system at school. And we would all get up and scurry and push back our chairs. And we would hide under our desk. A flimsy metal desk with about a quarter inch of fake wood on top. So, and as a kid, you're thinking, okay, there's going to be a five megaton nuclear blast hit our area. And I'm going to be sitting under this little tiny desk. I'm sure it'll all work out great. <laughs> the point is this. If you had to choose between one of these underground super bunkers or a flimsy metal desk in order to find peace of mind and comfort in the most horrific circumstances, the choice is obvious. And Jesus is saying to us, look, there's all kinds of things you can put your trust in. There's all kinds of things that you can attach your hope to in hopes of finding peace. And these things are flimsy. They're circumstantial. They require all kinds of energy for you to fabricate. They need to get plugged in. You need to have money in order to buy them. And they're not going to last. And they're not going to be adequate when there's troubles in this life. Where we put our trust will determine whether or not we have peace. And the Advent season is a season where we remember again, peace is possible. Not because we can create perfect circumstances, but because Christ's invitation to trust him. There's just one more thing I want to just point out to you just quickly in this passage, and it comes at the end of verse 33, where Jesus reminds us that he has overcome the world. Jesus is saying to these disciples and to us, 
we know how the story ends. We know how the story ends, and so we can have peace. We heard it this week as vaccines got rolled out across the country and they were being given to people. And in particular, I remember one interview with a healthcare worker who was receiving the vaccine and they became incredibly emotional in that moment. Why? Did anything change? Did everybody suddenly get better? Did COVID-19 become banished across the planet? No. But because for her in this moment, she had a sense now, this is how the story is going to end. And it gave her some sense of hope. Jesus is saying to these disciples, you might get kicked out of your synagogues. You might be disowned by the people who raised you. You might even get killed. But that's not how the story is going to end. Jesus gets the last word. And his last word to his people of faith is life. We experience this all the time when we go to funerals for people who have trusted their life to Jesus Christ. In the middle of sorrow and grief and and real pain, there's also a sense of peace because we know how the story ends. Because at some point, the person who's died has chosen to put their faith in Jesus. And when they did that and they transferred their trust to him, they experienced peace. And when they passed away, those around them also had a sense of peace. That yes, we miss them, we love them, but we know how this story ends. I love how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been made right with God's right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has, and listen to this, brought us into a place of undeserved privilege. Because of our faith, Christ has put us in a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. This is the good news of the Advent season, that when we place our trust in Christ, we get a peace that is not possible through any other means. When someone has peace with God, when we know that they have put their life in God's hands, it means we can have peace even in the most difficult of circumstances. And what a gift that is. And I want to ask you today, do you have this gift? Do you have this peace? Have you experienced this peace in your own life? It's available to you. During these last few months, we have all had opportunities to see with brutal clarity where we have truly placed our hope, what we are truly trusting in as our source of life. As time and time again, things that we love got taken from us, things that we enjoyed and gave meaning to us got taken from us. Maybe we realized in these times, boy, this just wasn't just a hobby. This maybe just wasn't something I'm grateful for. This is actually something I put my hope in. And if this is gone, then my hope is gone. This is something I hoped would give me peace. And now that it's gone, I have no source of peace. Maybe this has been an unsettling time for you, but maybe it's a clarifying time too. And now it's Advent and it's a time of invitation to remember that Jesus is saying to us, we can experience Jesus' peace By choosing to trust him. By choosing to remember and say, and even say it out loud today, I am not alone. My Heavenly Father is with me. I can have peace today, not because of some circumstances that I've cooked up or something that I've done, but because I'm placing my trust in Christ. And so all the resources of Jesus are now available 
to me. And I can have peace because no matter what troubles come my way this year, I already know how the story ends. And so, can I lead you in prayer this morning? And can I invite you to think about the peace of God that is available to you? Let me pray. Lord, for some today, they have never opened their heart and transferred their trust to you. Lord, peace has been hit and miss. It's been come and go. It's been circumstantial. And Lord, today for these people, I pray that they would choose to put their trust in you. And as they do, as they plug into you, they can experience peace all the time. No matter what circumstances come, no matter how their situations in life might change, peace will always be available to them. Lord, today I thank you that you are with us, that we are not alone, that we can count on you in every time. Lord, we thank you today that within you are all the resources we need for life. And they're available to us today through you. Lord, we thank you today that you have looked after the ending of this life. You've looked after the ending of this story. And we can have confidence that no matter what comes, Lord, your last word to us is life. So in this Advent season, Father, may we experience the peace of Christ to permeate our lives in its fullness. And we thank you for this gift that you've given to us. In Christ's name, amen.